Y'all can sing that anytime you want to. Amen. I like that song. Take your Bibles, turn with me please to the book of Acts over in the New Testament. I'm going to um, do something different this morning. Uh, I had worked all week on the series uh, part two of Together, but this morning the Lord changed my mind, changed my heart. So unless the Lord changes my mind again, I will preach what I was going to preach this morning. I'll preach it tonight in the 5 o'clock service. But I really want to mind the Lord this morning. Try to be sensitive to Him and um, always be sensitive to whatever it is He's wanting to do. Amen. Amen. We're, our theme this year is Together. And I'm excited about this theme. And I'm, I've enjoyed studying it. And I worked on the message uh, most of yesterday and um, I just really feel like this morning God changed all that up. And I've been in this long enough to know not to argue with God. Amen. So we're going to change directions here. And I trust the Lord to bless it. If you stand with me, please. We're in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter number 9. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been to church for any length of time, if you've been saved, if you've been uh, in your Bible, this is the story of uh, the Apostle Paul's Salvation experience. His name was Saul at the time, and he was on the on the road to Damascus. Um, I've had the opportunity to stand there on the border of Israel and uh, look out over that that border of Syria and see in the distance uh, the city of Damascus. And uh, I'm assuming it had to be somewhere in that general vicinity, Brother Burner, where this story took place. I stood there in a, in a military bunker with UN peacekeepers and shared the gospel with them, gave them some tracts, and looked over into the country of Syria and the city of Damascus. And uh, this is a fascinating story. The Apostle Paul never got over what happened in this story. Amen. It's one of the few places in your Bible where the Holy Spirit of God let his testimony be given in the same scripture several times. Amen. The Apostle Paul was transformed. Amen. Transformed on, this, uh, on the road to Damascus. And we're going to read the story and then we're going to just drill down in one portion of one verse. Are you in Acts 9? The Bible says in verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee, what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat 
nor drink. We're going to stop right there for the sake of time. Father, help us this morning as we open the scriptures. I pray that you would bless this message. Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts and our minds and our focus to the burden and the message that you've given to us this morning. Give me power and unction, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What a story. The Bible goes on to tell us that there was a certain disciple in verse 10 in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And he said, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Look at verse 13. Ananias said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Yeah. Amen. That's one reason why we call each other brother and sister. Amen. He walked in and called Saul, a persecutor of the church, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. What an amazing testimony. What an amazing story. Everybody in here that's saved has a testimony. You've got a story about how God came to you and made you aware of your need for a Savior and your whole spiritual journey as it were. But boy, what a story this was right here. But in this story we find a, a, a conversation that takes place. Could you imagine having a testimony of salvation that involved an audible conversation with the God of heaven? I'm telling you, this is a story. And, and boy, God got his attention in these verses and it changed and, and transformed Saul's life. But in the middle of verse number five, when, when, when Saul said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then he makes a statement. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And this one statement, this one statement in verse number five was so powerful that it caused Saul, the Bible says, to tremble and be astonished in verse number six. This conversation, this statement had such an effect on Paul, on Saul, that it brought him to a state of repentance and salvation. This one statement in verse number five is as if God opened up Saul's personal diary and read it to the whole world. In that statement, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. There are layers, layers of dynamics. I want to preach for just a few minutes on this thought, three stories in one statement. Three stories 
in one statement. When Jesus said in verse number five, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When you take it and you dissect it and you break it down, you notice that there are several different truths and stories, very private, very personal revelations that are revealed in that statement. The first thing that I want you to notice is it is a story of a secret difficulty. The Bible tells us in verse number five that as Jesus is talking to Saul, he's laying there on the ground. That light was shining from heaven, verse number three. He fell to the earth. I mean, he's literally laying in the dust. He's laying in the dirt, the mud, maybe. He's laying in the dirt of the road. And God made a statement to him in verse number five that is a story that nobody else in that crowd knew except Saul. Here's what he said. It is hard for thee. It is hard for thee. We would say it like this. You're having a hard time. You're putting on a pretty good show. People might not be able to know it by looking at you. But God said, me and you know. You're having a hard time. That word hard means harsh. It means violent. It means rough. It literally means intolerable if you look it up in the Greek. Saul's life appeared to everybody on the outside to be one of prosperity. We know from his writings that he was a Pharisee before he got saved. In these verses, he is a Pharisee. They were highly respected. They were regarded as the spiritual leaders of their day with a connection to God and an understanding of Scripture that superseded everybody else's. He was a member of of the Sanhedrin. This placed him in the highest echelons of society and prosperity. Just an elite group of people. He also told us in his writings that he was a, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Very few people back then even knew which tribe at this point that they came from. But Paul had done his homework. He had done his genealogy and with authority he knew he was where he was from. He had a well-documented history and his heritage and he was schooled in Tarsus at the feet of Gamaliel, the most influential man in the Sanhedrin's learning circles in those days. Today, that would be equivalent to having a doctor's degree from Yale or Harvard or one of those Ivy League schools. He had an elite status in his day, and he was sanctioned by the authorities to go and arrest Christians. And the Bible tells us in chapter 9, verse number 2, that he had been given letters and he was given an authority, and he was a leader, and he was well-educated, and he was respected, and he had a following, and he had a great responsibility, but his life had become hard, difficult, intolerable. And I dare say nobody knew it but him and God. I'm going to go a step further and say nobody might have known it but God. He might not have even realized it. There are a lot of people today that their life is hard and it's difficult, but it's so normal for them, they don't even know any different. They've never known anything but a life that's hard. They've never known anything but agony. They've never known anything but guilt. They've never known anything but misery. They have no point of reference to even know how bad off they are. You say, is that possible? Well, it was possible in the church at Laodicea 
when Jesus said you're miserable and poor and blind and naked and don't know it. How are you miserable and not know it? Because that's all you've ever known. That's how. But God looked down, can I say it, and read his mail. He read his mail and he's revealed a story of a secret difficulty when Saul was working, when he was journeying, when he was traveling. Boy, to everybody else, he looked successful. He looked like he had it going on. But inwardly, there was a battle. There was turmoil when he was in the synagogue and he was walking around with his uh, Sanhedrin garb on and he had his status, his elite status as a Pharisee. Everybody looked up to him. Everybody said and think, I wished I was him. I wished I could be him. I wished I could do like he does. I wished I could wear that outfit. I wished I could sit in that chair. I wish I had that office. I wish I had that position. But down deep inside, he was having a hard time. Carrying out all of his sanctioned duties. Looked prosperous, but he was struggling. Think about the people today. The world looks at them as being successful. We got a good job making good money. They've got a beautiful home. They've got nice automobiles and And from the world's perspective, we would say they've got it going on. And yet the suicide rate among that crowd, it's heartbreaking. The number of those people that will leave that elite job and drive home to their beautiful home in that nice automobile and walk in the house and hang their keys up on the hook and go in there and get drunk just so they can go to sleep. Pop pills do drugs, spend good portion of their weekly salary laying on some couch in some psychiatrist's office trying to find out what's wrong with them because they're miserable. They're having a hard time. I have to believe the public revelation in this story of a private and secret life was partly what caused Saul to tremble and be astonished in verse number six. See, a lot of people succeed putting on the face, pretending to be happy, wearing that facade, wearing that mask. People have learned how to go through the motions and hide and conceal their frustration and their hurt and their pain. But it was on this day, in this story, on the road to Damascus, that Jesus Christ revealed to Saul and to the rest of the world that his life was hard. It is hard for thee, verse number five. You know, Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 15 says this, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Isaiah 48, verse number 22 says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. No peace. Isaiah 57 Verse number 21, he said the exact same thing. There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. I heard a preacher one time tell a story, and I don't know if it's true. I assume it's true. I hate to think he was lying in the pulpit. It's happened before, but he told the story of getting on an elevator, and Elvis Presley was on that elevator. This was before he died. And on the elevator, he felt impressed by the Holy Spirit of God to 
witness to him in just those few short seconds and he knew he would have that close of an encounter with a man of that status. And he says to him, he says, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? And he said that Elvis Presley said to him, I'd give a million dollars for just one hour of peace. I'm not saying he wasn't saved. You can be saved and be miserable. Church of Laodicea was. I can tell you this, the world idolized that man and thought, boy, I wished I had his I wished I had his position. I wished I had his notoriety. I wished I had his money. I wish I had a mansion like that. I wished I had friends and all those cars and all that. But yet, in his own words, according to this preacher, he was miserable. He was having a hard time. Right. A lot of people constantly dealing with depression, constantly dealing with suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Instagram and TikTok and social media has given people an opportunity to put forward a face and a, and a, and a, and a persona that is far different from what it is in reality. And young people get on there and look through these pictures and read these posts and they see all these superstars and these musicians and these actors and actresses and all these celebrities and they think, man, I would love to live that way. What they don't see is them curled up in their bed at night with the, pull, with the, with the curtains pulled, popping pills and, and drinking liquor and getting drunk and, and, and trying their best to suppress the feelings of guilt and anguish and, and all those things that they're dealing with. The statement that Jesus made in this verse was heard by all those that were traveling with Saul. Could you imagine what went through their mind? Here they are traveling with a man to assist him and help him in his zeal and with these papers and all this authority to, to discover in the middle of the street that this man was having a hard time. It's hard for thee. Life is difficult for you. Think about the statement Jesus made to the woman at the well when he asked her, said, go get your husband. <laughs> and she says, I have no husband. I've had five. Jesus said, that's right, you've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Ain't there something how Jesus... Knows how to pull off the mask. Isn't it somehow God knows how to get you and I to get real with him? Thought about 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 19. I thought about that verse while the choir was singing. I jotted, scribbled that reference down in, in my nose. Listen to what here's, what, here's what the Bible says about the Bible. Are you ready? Here's what it says about the Bible. I don't want to misquote this verse. I love these verses. For we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. <laughs> God has a way through the scriptures to just turn the light on. Shine a light right up in that little cubby hole, that little crevice that you thought nobody could see. Nobody would ever know what's hidden down in there. And through the word of God and through the power of God, he's able to take what is hidden and make it revealed to everybody. Bring it out in the light. You see, it's a story of a secret difficulty 
But number two, we see in this statement, it is a story of a stubborn defiance. Notice what he says in verse five. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Your life is a battle. Your life is a battle against God. There's a stubborn defiance. This statement, kicking against the pricks, is a statement gives us the visual image of a man that is prodding a cow or an animal of some sort, trying to move them, whether it be a sheep or a goat, trying to move them into a direction that he wants them to go in. And he's using that prick. He's using that stick. We would today call it a cattle prod. They have them with batteries in them. or to light you up like a Christmas tree. And he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And the image that he gives us of Saul and his response to God is that of a, of a, of a mule or a cow that is resisting and kicking against the person that is trying to move them in a desired direction. A story of a stubborn defiance. It's an animal that's protesting outward control by another with a violent reaction. I dare say in verse number two, the fact that Saul went and desired of them letters to Damascus, he went to the high priest, he asked them if he could do this. He asked them if they would give him the paperwork. He asked them if they would authorize him to go and hunt down Christians like a, like a rabid dog and bring them in. He asked them to. That was his response to God. That was him kicking against the pricks. It's amazing because Saul's actions appeared to everybody around him to be in conjunction with God and his work, but it was the absolute opposite. Paul's every step, Brother Barley, every action, every word, every thought, and every accomplishment was in direct defiance against God. His life was one of fighting against God, not fighting for God or fighting alongside God. Paul said in Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3, if I'm not mistaken, we're labors together with God. Jesus said, come unto me, take my yoke upon you. Get in here alongside of me. Let's work together. Let's labor together. Let's have the same desires and, and let's pull our energy and let's do great things together. But Paul, or Saul rather, in this story, he's not in the yoke with Christ. He's fighting and kicking against Christ. I have to believe that every bit of truth that he'd ever heard or known was buried deep in his heart and in his mind, but yet somehow or another there was just enough of it in his mind to create that conflict. Are y'all still with me this morning? See, you think you can just squash it. You think you can suppress it. You think you can just take the truth and the messages and the gospel if you're here this morning and you've never been saved. You think you can take all that and you can just shove it all down in a crack somewhere and cover it up, but the word of God will not be bound. His word will not be bound. His word will go forth and it will accomplish that which he intended. 
There's no person more miserable than a person that has set themselves against God and the authority of God and the power of God and the ministry and the church and the word of God. That is one miserable human being. And yet for some reason or another, we as humans always seem to try that first. Fight God. Here's how Jesus said it in verse number four. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why persecutest thou me? Brother Bernard hit me like a ton of bricks. You ready for this? Are y'all ready for this? Saul was persecuting Jesus, and Jesus was persecuting Saul. They were fighting each other. Paul said it like this in Ephesians, I believe it's chapter number two. He said, we're enemies, strangers and aliens. Enemies. Enemies. Think about being an enemy of God. It makes my blood run cold. You want to talk about a losing battle. You want to talk about a lost cause going up against God. It's amazing how defiant we can be sometimes. In Proverbs chapter number one, here's what it says. In verse 24, because I've called and you refused. Because I've called and you refused. We have on our cell phones, these smartphones, when somebody calls us, we got a little green button and a little red button. Accept or decline, I believe it's. Sometimes I'm in a hurry and I accidentally decline somebody trying to call me. And boy, I call them back quick as I can. And you know what I say? I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hang up on you. Hit the wrong button. Anybody ever done that? You know what God said? God said, I've been calling you. Oh, by the way, he's got your number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no unlisted number with God. He knows where you are. Amen. He's got your number. He says, I've called and you refused. I stretched out my hand. No man regarded You've said it not all of my counsel. You didn't, we'd say it in South Georgia, you didn't listen to a thing I said. Right. You've said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early. They shall not find me for that they hated knowledge, did not choose. The fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about a story of a stubborn defiance where God's calling and you keep declining. I've seen people standing in church during the altar call, during the invitation. They were under such deep conviction and they were gripping the pew in front of them till their knuckles turned white to keep from going to the altar. 
standing there stiff-legged, fighting God, defiant and resistant against God as God was calling them, calling them to salvation, extending a hand of mercy and grace and forgiveness to them. Which brings me to my third point. He said, it's hard for thee, verse 5, to kick against the pricks. It's a story, number three, of a sovereign desire. You know what's just in that word, the pricks there, Brother Leader, there is a whole doctrine. There's a whole doctrine hidden, masked in that. And that is this. God loves sinners. And God goes after sinners. And God calls sinners unto himself. God was pricking him. Why? To make him miserable? Was he trying to make his life miserable? Was God trying to make his life hard? Was he trying to make him depressed and suicidal? No. God was pricking him. God was nudging him because God wanted him to get saved and join him on his side. He wanted him to cross the fence, amen, and get off that side that are enemies with God, fighting against the church and arresting Christians. He wanted him to cross the fence and get on God's team. And he wanted him to be a soul winner and a missionary and a church planner and a Bible writer, amen. God went after him. Say what you want to about God. But God's not picky in who he will save. People that you and I would say there's no way they could ever get saved. I don't think you and I could understand the magnitude of this story. But it'd be like Somebody rounding up that gunman that killed that man over in Baghdad just a few weeks ago. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hmm? Rounding up that team of terrorists that took out that godly man that our church partnered with. Round them up. Bring them in the back door and set them on the front row. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think it might get a little bit tense in here. I dare say our security would be on high alert that morning. There's a man that kills Christians. There's a man that'll blow a man of God away in the street. And bring him in here and set him on the front row and preach the plan of salvation. Can I tell you something? God would save that man in a heartbeat. God would deal with him. God would convict him. God would reveal himself to him. And God would give him the faith if he would allow him to, to be born again, saved by the grace of God. A man that was an enemy of the church, a man that people feared, a man that whose job was consumed with taking out the church. God says, I want you. I'll save you. Let me get the cattle prod out. <laughs> I was reading this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Solomon said the words of the wise are as goads. That's what it says. Same thing. Same thing. In other words, every time a person hears a Bible message, they're getting pricked. Huh? Every time they hear a Bible verse, they're getting pricked. Every time somebody hands them a gospel tract, 
they're getting pricked. They'll be going down the road and they'll see a bumper sticker or they'll see a billboard or somebody will ride by with a honk if you love Jesus. And you know what? They're, they're getting pricked. And you know what God's doing? God's trying to round them up. God's trying to back them up in the corner because he wants to save them by his grace. I'm thinking about the story over there. I believe it was the story of Stephen. Where Stephen was preaching, the Bible tells us. The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. What's God doing when he's pricking? He's trying to get them saved. They were cut to the heart, the Bible says, in verse 54 of Acts 7. While he was preaching, they were cut to their heart. What was God doing? God was pricking. God was prodding. God was revealing his sovereign desire. By the way, the apostle Paul was at the death of Stephen. That's, that's, that's an important part of the story. In Acts chapter number 7, verse number 58, while they were stoning Stephen, a man that the Bible tells us in at least three places was full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us they ran upon him, drug him out of the city, stoned him. Verse 58, the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Can't prove it, but there's a good chance that was when God got Saul's phone number. Hmm? And he stood there and watched them stone a man that while he was on his knees, the Bible said he had the face of an angel and said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Whew. And I don't know about you, but I believe that'd be a prick in my heart if I'd been there and seen that. If I'd, have been, if I'd have been in on that, if I'd have been signing off on that, and that was that man's response, I believe I'd have had a hard time going to sleep that night. And instead of Saul getting saved right then, he just took it up a notch. He just ramped it up and started going after Christians as hard as he could, trying to squelch that misery, squelch that burning desire in his heart to get rid of God, but God wouldn't give up on him. And God shined that light, knocked him off of his high horse, literally into the dust of the street and said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And at that point, he realized the story of the secret's out. <laughs> God just read my diary. The Bible says he trembling and astonished said, Lord, <laughs> what wilt thou have me to do? There may be somebody here this morning. You're in that, those first two categories. It's hard. You're miserable. If you could figure out a way to kill yourself without it hurting, you'd do it. God's backed you up in the corner and he's been pricking you and prodding you. He's given you so many opportunities to get saved or get right with God and you just keep having that stubborn defiance. Can I tell you something? God loves you this morning. Would you just surrender? Would you just do like Saul did and say, Lord, I've been on the wrong team this whole time. He wasn't asking the high priest what they wanted him to do. He asked God, what do you want me to do? And God forevermore changed that man's life on the road to Damascus. With heads bowed, eyes closed this morning, there may be somebody here today. God changed my message. I was going to preach on the together theme. But God changed this message this morning because he wanted to prick you one more time. He wanted to prod you one more time. He wanted to nudge you one more time. 
this message will apply to lost people and it will apply to saved people. We got some people in here this morning, you've got a testimony of salvation as good as mine, but your life is miserable right now and you're fighting God because God has given you so much truth and so much light. Would you just get an altar this morning and say, Lord, what would you have me do? I'm talking about making Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life. There may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shifflin, I'm not sure I'm saved. I cannot say with 100% confidence if I died right now that I would go to heaven. And I would appreciate it if you would remember me in prayer. Would you be honest enough this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Anybody, anywhere? God bless you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down, sir. Thank you for being honest. We would love to help, help you this morning. It would be an honor for us. I cannot tell you how honored and how thrilled we would be this morning if we could take a Bible and in just a few minutes from God's Word show you how you could get some hope and some assurance of your salvation. If you're watching online, there's a phone number on the screen. If you'll text that phone number and say, I need to talk to somebody, somebody will call you in just a few minutes as soon as church is over with a Bible and over the phone, we'll do our best to try to help you.